Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And want to make sure that you have had a chance to listen to all of our old episodes. If you haven't had a chance to that, this is when I always bring up something that's been on my mind, on my heart, on everything. And I want to make sure that if you're a first time listener, welcome to the show. This is the first time listening and you've never heard our show before and a friend told you you need to listen to this. Well, your friend was right. I promise you we have some good stuff on here for you today. But I wanted to make sure that if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes, what are jam-packed with fire, 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 fire. Some more gems are being dropped and the guests brought it every time. So I'll encourage you to go back and listen to an episode. And as I always do, I encourage our longtime listeners. First of all, thank you for being a longtime listener. And we thank you. And we ask if there's an episode that you like, that you thought that you got a lot of value out of that really impacted your life, please share that episode. Go back in whatever platform you're listening to, share it with some friends and let them get the same blessing that you got from the information that we're sharing on this podcast. With that, we're going to jump into the show today. I'm excited about this conversation. I think that is something that we need to hear more of. I think it's something that people, when they do hear what's going on and the opportunities for investments and the opportunities to close the equity gap, I think that this is going to really, really enrich your life. So today we are joined by Mitch Brooks. Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me and look forward to the conversation and hello to your listeners and supporters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we brought Mitch on today and Mitch, for the people that don't know Mitch, please give us a little background about who you are, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I co-run High Street Equity Partners and we focus on pre-seed and seed stage investments. We look at all categories of early stage investing into companies, but in particular, we like future of work ventures, health tech ventures, clean tech ventures, and online marketplaces. Prior to co-founding High Street Equity Partners in 2021, Mm -hmm. I worked with early and growth stage companies as an investor, and I was also a business operator. And so I was uh, the chief operating officer of a B2B SaaS company called DSI. And I started my career in corporate at FINRA and Caterpillar. And prior to that, I went to undergraduate and graduate school at Florida a and There it is. Shout out HBCU. There it is. Yeah, yeah there man. it is. <laughs> That's right. Like that. Like that. I had a little, you know, some experience working in different capacities and it led you to talking about equity. And today's conversation is going to be around closing the equity gap. And so before we get into closing the equity gap, let's talk about what the equity gap is, because we know that there's a wealth gap. And I've said it before on the show, I think it's bigger than a gap. It's a wealth divide because a gap makes it sound like you can almost jump over it, right? If it's a little mm. gap, it's a like, yeah, I can hop over that gap. It's not a gap. It's a divide. And the word that I've been using lately is a chasm, even bigger than that. It's not something that you can just step over, drive over fly over. It is a canyon 
of separation yeah. between yeah. the wealth of people of color and yeah. those yeah. our white counterparts. So, That's well said. That's powerful, brother. That's very well said. So with that, talk to us a little bit about this equity gap in general before we get into how we close it, because we need to know what it is, right? That's right. That's right. So women get 2% of all investment dollars in the venture capital space. And of that 2%, Black women get 0.1% of our venture capital investment dollars. And on the racial side, people of color get 3% of our venture capital dollars. And so when we talk about equity or the disparity in parity and equity in the venture capital space, we're talking about the fact that a vast majority of that goes to white men. And there are folks in this space, high street equity partners included, that are bringing much needed attention, but also from our own pockets and from our own purses to be able to support these underinvested and underrepresented founders across the country. When I hear you say that, I heard you say 3% of the money goes to people of color. I said 97% of the money goes somewhere else. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I always like to sometimes go and just do highlight the other part because that means there's <laughs> a lot of, like, you think if I'm getting 97% of anything, you're doing pretty damn good, right? Yeah, man. But we're yeah. not getting that 97%. That's we're right. losing 97% of the opportunities that are going to other people. And I think this is a, val- a great point that you're bringing up when we're talking venture capital. And I want to let you talk a little bit about venture capital. Talk to the audience a little bit about what venture capital is so they can get an understanding of how important it is that we're not getting that money. Yeah, yeah. So there are two key ways for us to, I'm sorry, let me give some deeper details and reference to that. So when we take a step back and when we look at economic mobility and how do we change the financial picture for generations to come. There are two key ways that economists and academics have identified that we can look to do that. We can look to do that through home ownership and passing down wealth from home ownership to the next generation. And we can look to do that through finances and entrepreneurship and being able to create and build businesses and being able to pass down the wealth generation from those businesses uh, to the generations after us. And so the way that I chose to take and the way that you chose to take is through the entrepreneurship and financial side of that equation, right? And so for those of us that are looking to meaningfully address this financial gap and this racial wealth gap, when we look into the research, we tend to pick one of those two areas. And so on the entrepreneurship side, one of the biggest barriers in order to be successful with that is access to capital. And that's where venture capital comes into play. And so to share to your listeners in the audience, most companies receive either debt investments or equity investments, right? And so the debt investments, that comes from the bank or that comes from different CDFI institutions where if you're looking to open a business, someone will say, I'll give you, or, you know, you need $100,000 to get started. Here's $100,000 and I want you to pay me back X percent over time, right? 
And so that's the that side of things. The other side is the equity side. And that's where venture capitalists such as myself play. And there are pros and cons to both, to be clear. But oftentimes for entrepreneurship, when you're looking at equity partners and equity investors, i.e. venture capitalists, they bring some support to what you're doing, right? So when you get money from the bank, oftentimes on the debt side, they give you that money and they just, they want to know how you're doing so that you can pay them back. On the equity side, you're getting mentorship, you're getting advice, you're getting folks to open doors for you. You're getting folks to be able to provide some subject matter expertise to help you along that journey. And so I think if we were to try to give listeners a holistic perspective, that's how I would encourage folks to look at venture capital in the VC industry and folks like me that's participating in it. So we're talking about raising capital, right? And basically, when we're doing it through equity, we're giving up ownership. When we're doing it through debt, we just have to have a debt obligation, right? Almost like a note, right? So when someone's going into this and they're being either venture capital or seeking venture capital funds, it's important that we understand that we're giving up ownership, right? For some future event that's going to happen. So talk talk about that, what you're doing when you do that, because this is the reason why I'm bringing it up. You know, we, I was telling you, we started some other firms and we had to make a choice of whether we we're going to go out and get venture capital or we we're going to bootstrap it and do it ourselves. And one of the yeah. reasons why we wanted to keep it ourselves is because we wanted to retain ownership. ownership. Yeah. We wanted to retain the ownership. And we wanted to also, with that ownership, nothing hindering our creative direction. So talk about that piece, which I think can be a little scary when you think venture capital. People might, might go on a shark tank, right? And that's what they think about right. shark tank. Yeah. And, yeah. and so now they're going to give me $400,000, but they want 20% of the partnership. So now my partner and I don't have 100%. We only own 80 and this other company owns 20 and they have a voice because they gave us all the money. Yeah, that's the trade-off, right? <laughs> we, we spoke about the pros and cons of that inequity. To your point, one of the pros of that over equity is that you get to retain 100%. And some folks would consider one of the cons of equity is that Mm -hmm. you're giving up ownership. And that is the trade-off. I would encourage entrepreneurs to think about and to think through how having a value proposition where someone makes an investment in you and in exchange they get equity, you should not do that deal unless you're convinced that they will help you to grow that pie to be a bigger pie. And when you think about it that way, you're in exchange doing 20% of a $10 million firm instead of 20% of a two, or you retaining 100% of a $2 million firm or $3 million firm. And so entrepreneurs think about this investment partner will end up being strategic to help me to grow and to help me to close deals and to get into different rooms and to help me to get different clients that I wouldn't normally have and their financial resources will do it in addition to their relationships and contacts in the space, then that's when I believe that it's an easy sort of calculation and easier thought process to have. And it's super important that when we're looking to give some equity or ownership in our company, that it's the right person. I remind people all the time that this is very much a marriage mm-hmm. and you should know the person that you're going into 
business with and you're giving a percentage of your company to really, really well. And so there are some VC firms that will look to be in business with someone in two or three weeks, you know, to share with you, like our process is much longer than that. And that's because we genuinely want to get to know who we're going in business with. And so I don't take lightly the idea of someone giving up a percentage or ownership of what they created and what they built in their baby. But I think when there's value add and when there's alignment on principles and ethics, then do it in order to help your business grow. Absolutely. You said something there at the end, the alignment on principles, ethics, morals, vision. I think all those things have to align, right? They got to fit. Because the other flip side of that, because this is what we're doing, right? We're going to look at all angles is 100% of nothing is still nothing. So you can keep 100% of everything you have. If you, what you have never turns into nothing, then you are the proud owner of 100% of something that's completely worthless. So that's right. if you want, you know, looking at this, I think eyes wide open. You just have to know everything that you're getting into when you're doing the equity play. And I think that it's a tremendous way and vehicle to build generational wealth. If we're really thinking about how to build generational wealth, you had alluded to it in the lending. And we talk about this all the time when we're talking about changing the complexion of wealth, right? We're talking about that. We talk about home ownership as one of the gateways, and that's the debt instrument to get ahead. Still having to borrow some money, but you can get ahead with the debt like that. And we understand how important having the equity in your home is. We understand what the equity, what type of leverage that gives you, what type of purchasing power that gives you, what type of opportunities that affords a family. And not only just from living there, but the schools that you get to go to, the people that you rub shoulders with, the area of town there that you live in. So the food that you eat is going to be different. And all of this comes from a house. Yes, all of it comes from the house. And yeah. the equity in the house can really catapult you somewhere. So you talk like a man that has some kids and have a family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those things, right? I think about where my kids go to school. We moved from one side of town to the other side of town a few years back. They didn't go to the school that I grew up in. They went to a different school. Well, that's what you do. And that equity from the home has afforded us that opportunity. So I think about that in terms of real estate equity. But when we're talking private equity, talk to us a little bit about that, how private equity works. Yeah. So a big picture, you have this industry and this space that's considered private equity. And venture capital falls within this private equity bucket. And when you look at private equity firms proper, the idea with private equity is that, at least on the entrepreneurial side, the idea is that we're more so looking to make an investment and looking to take control and ownership of a company. And we're looking to do things like put in our own CEO or put in our own leadership team or liquidate some of the assets that are in the company. So you're doing a lot of restructuring in order to try to run a leaner shop and a leaner business. And so to a great degree, that's what private equity looks like in this space. So making a significant investment and changing things around in order to create the most efficient and profitable business enterprise possible. On the venture capital side, you're typically making a minority investment and you're looking to become more collaborative with the CEO and with the entrepreneurship team. And so it's 
a very different approach sort of tend to look, be viewed under the same umbrella, this bigger umbrella. And that's the difference between the venture capital and private equity, right? Private equity that's just right. wants to give you the money and get paid, right? That's and then right. venture capital is going to come in and probably offer some type of assistance in day-to-day operations of what's going on. Is that what I heard? Just that's making right. sure I'm, okay. That's right. And I think about this in terms of, there was a school in San Jose, actually, it was a Catholic school. And I always say this, and this is the extreme example. So people are always like, oh man, I just need to find a company. I was like, don't always happen this way, but I can't remember it was. It was a Catholic school in San Jose. And we're out here in California, for those that don't know, in the thriving metropolis of Madera, California. It's a small little town, about 60,000 people, but we call it the metropolis. So there was this school in San Jose and they had invested $15,000 into Snapchat and private equity. And then lo and behold, we all know Snapchat went and did what Snapchat did and they got a check. I want to say it was like $26 million after Snapchat went up, something like that. Yeah. That's equity. That's private equity, right? That's what people are thinking about when they think private equity. Now, obviously not everybody's going to have that type of return on their investment, but don't we all wish we could find that Snapchat and invest that kind of money? But you can see how an investment like that can change the trajectory of family for generations to come. I don't know about you, but $26 million will change a lot of things that we do day to day and going forward. So when you know these kind of things, how does all this lead into entrepreneurship? And what's the relation in entrepreneurship as it relates to what, what you're doing? Yeah, I believe that entrepreneurship is one of the most powerful vehicles. And I could talk about it far longer than the time that we have on this podcast. But I would like to see more teaching and curriculums and K through 12 around entrepreneurship. And I would like to see it talk about more at the dinner table, at home with families, and talked about in terms of celebrating those that are in the space, but also teaching some of the principles on a very small micro level about what that's like. I had a phone call earlier today with a colleague and I sit on the board of an organization and she said that her daughter created a camp when she was 10 years old. And as a part of the camp, her mother would take her to the store in the first year, her mother took her to Target to buy all of the supplies. And she said, hey, you have $100 to get all of the supplies for the camp. As a result of the student going through that process, she's her own business owner to produce this camp for kids in her neighborhood. She said the next year, her daughter said to her, I don't want to go to Target. I want to go to this other place because I think I can get those supplies at a better price. Mm -hmm. Right. I said to her this morning, I said, that's an amazing story. And it's one thing for you to say that to your child and insist that she go about this in a certain way. It's another thing, and it's much more powerful for her to have that practical experience and for her to be able to get that on her own. And it's going to stay with her for the rest of her life. And that life lesson and that experience came about from her 10-year-old child having this entrepreneurial endeavor and venture and, and picking up these life lessons as a result of it. And so I can't speak highly enough about why I think it's really important and it's a key in particular in black and brown communities. Now, 
if we were to fast forward to what we'll consider to be high growth companies, which are the type of companies that I look to invest in and I look to support, I think that there are accelerators and incubators that folks should be mindful of and that folks should really seek out. If you have a business idea and you feel as though you did not get sort of this either formal or informal entrepreneurial training growing up, I'm strongly encouraging folks, like if you have a great idea and you want to turn it into a business to seek accelerators and incubators. And on the other end of that, if folks do have formal training or a knowledge base, as you look to go through your entrepreneurial path, you're going to have venture capital firms like High Street Equity Partners that are going to be there and ready and willing to support you in order for you to grow your business. You'd said some stuff about the little girl. When you're talking about that, I think about how important it is to have those conversations across the table. And honestly, how important it is to eat dinner at the table. We won't go there. Okay. We won't go there right now. We'll stop on that. But I think that now I have four kids. We have our two yeah. older daughters that are, you know, my daughter's in the one that's going to turn 17 here pretty soon. And then we have my 15 year old. And then we have the two babies, a four and a two year old. So when my daughters were elementary school, so this is a couple of years back, they both wanted to start businesses. Slime was popular about five years ago. And okay. so my daughters hit the slime trail hard, you know, so they had done this. What they did is they Dad, we need to go get supplies. Okay, well, what are we doing? Hold on. What did I agree to? I said we could do something, but what did I agree to? So they both want to go into business separately, <laughs> not together. So that was, that was one thing. <laughs> they want to both do this thing on their own. I said, all right, that's fine. You guys do it. Go ahead and do what you're going to do, girls. So they start selling it. And I said, okay, so how much are we selling the slime for? Right? And they're like, well, we're going to, I said, well, how much are the supplies going to cost us? Okay. So we go through how much the supplies are going to cost. Okay. So supplies cost this much. How much time does it take you to make these? Yeah. So you have this, you bought this much product, right? And then we're going to turn this into slime. So how much slime is it going to make? And how much time does it cost you to make this slime? Yeah. They were like, okay. So they went in and figured that out. And I said, okay, now how much are you going to charge for your time? That's right. Oh, wow. We hadn't thought about that. So they gave me the price and I was like, okay, so you're going to spend this much time. You're going to make that. Is it worth that much? They're like, oh, no. No way, because I spent too much time with you. I was like, okay, well, what's happening? So we did all that, and then the school shut it down. They were out there slinging slime. They cut it. They shut it down. It both was, <laughs> they, shut, they shut down the slime business, so they had their first run-in with government restrictions on uh, <laughs> on their business. So, you know, yeah, I love that. I love the practical application of that exercise to things later in life, right? Especially when you look at labor costs and just the time value of money, right? To your point, there are several entrepreneurs um, that I've spoken to when I was an angel investor where I would talk to them about their pricing strategy and how they're going about it. And just the thought of, I was like, look, right now you may be employee number one and you're actually providing the service but I want you to think about and structure your pricing strategy so that as you scale and grow, you'll still be able to remove yourself and replace yourself with someone that'll provide this service, but you'll still be able to make money as a business owner and as a business operator. And so talking to folks about labor costs and then 
your margin on top of labor costs and getting them to sort of see that big picture. In my opinion, those type of conversations and that education is priceless. Mm -hmm. It's priceless, man. Absolutely. We can't just say we want change and then do nothing different with the people that are closest to us because we talk about change all the time. We want to see more people in this space. We want to see more people of color accumulating wealth. And when we have the opportunities to have those conversations with the people that, I mean, because we always want to talk about reaching everyone, right? We want to reach as many people, but we don't reach the people at the house. What good is the message, right? Because that's where the rubber is going to meet the road. That's where the conversations that you have, not necessarily you, but just people in general have with their family. This is how you begin to build that generational family wealth, because it's not just the secret that we have that we pin up and we don't tell anybody. We're trying to tell everybody how to do this. We're trying to show everybody that you can do it. And we're trying to teach everybody that you will do it if you take the necessary steps. And so I think that in agreeance 2000% with what you're saying about entrepreneurship being the gateway to creating wealth and closing that equity gap. I agree with you on that. It is a statistical data fact that when you look at the data from the federal government and the Federal Reserve, when they look at the socioeconomic levels that we have here that, you know, sort of we consider folks living in poverty to being working class to being upper middle class, et cetera. One of the identified drivers, our top tier social economic class is entrepreneurship. And it's pretty amazing and it's not lost on me. And to share with you all, I learned this when I was doing my family genealogy research. And so I was looking at sort of a lot of these different factors and variables around a different time that I was able to discover or learn about different family members in my family tree. And when you unpack and look at that socioeconomic data, it was eye-opening to me. And so as they sort of listed out different examples and different type of, I want to say labor categories and professional service areas, it was interesting that entrepreneurship was listed where it was listed. And at the same time, there were government reports that spoke about, and this is how wealth is being preserved. And this is how folks are able to maintain those socioeconomic status tiers for generations. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as we see more people of color and women getting into the VC space, because I'm looking at the impact and the amount of dollars that, you know, black women get, people of color. Because I know the founders in Heartland, they changed the state of wealth in marginalized communities, right? Talk to us about that. What kind of impacts are we seeing there? So to add to those stats and numbers that I shared with you, 88% of venture capital dollars go to five states in the United States of America. And that means that the remaining 45 states of the U.S. are fighting for access to capital in the same way. And so it's somewhat not by chance or it's ironic that companies out of New York or California are growing to become these large companies like your Facebook and your Twitter and things of that nature. And so one of the things that we're trying to do at High Street Equity Partners is to be intentional to develop uh, strong relationships with the entrepreneurial 
support organizations and communities across the heartland of the country. And it's not just us. There are other Black and Brown-led venture capital firms that are passionate about this and that are doing this. But we're trying to make sure that we look at and invest in the heartland of the country. And what we believe, and we have some data that shows this, but I think the data will continue to come about as we make these investments. What we believe is that talent is equally distributed around the country. We know that there are entrepreneurs that look to relocate or move to some of these places, but it's mainly because you have investors due to their cognitive bias and pattern matching where they're sort of forcing you to try to fit this mode. They're forcing you to move to where they are. They're forcing you to do all of these things. And the reality of the situation is we think that the communities in the heartland of the country is at a disadvantage and missing out because of this. So when you relocate your company to California, as a result, when you're building and growing your company, you're going to be hiring folks that live in California. You're not going to be hiring folks that live in the community where you're from or where you may have originally founded your company. And we believe that there's a lot of value there that will help to build healthy and prosperous communities across the entire country. And so I'm from Washington, D.C., and that's what I would like to see in Washington, D.C., and Baltimore, Maryland. That's what my business partner, Tristan, would like to see where he's from in Little Rock, Arkansas, and parts of the Delta where he grew up. And so we see the heartland as a really untapped place that can unlock a lot of value for investors, but also, I think most importantly, for those communities and the families of those entrepreneurs. Absolutely. I love that. I think that that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of people. When you said only five states, I was like, well, I know it has to be California and New York. I don't <laughs> you listen to anything else. I was like, California, New York, maybe down in Florida, no telling. I'm just guessing off the top of my head, probably somewhere in the middle of the country. That's somewhere, probably Chicago, Atlanta, what I'm thinking. California, New York, Boston, Atlanta, Florida. That'll just guess. That'll just, <laughs> just a wild guess. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense to get because there's a lot of places that are left out of that equation. Mm-hmm. There's 45, to be exact, that are left mm-hmm. down. That's very powerful information. As you know, Mitch, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And wanted to ask you some of these questions here. First one is, what motivates and inspires you to continue to grow, learn, and lead? I think the idea, the generations that will come after me, I do not have any children as of yet. I know that you have four beautiful kids. And for me, those unborn kids that I don't have yet, but I know that I want to leave my family name and my family situation significantly better when I'm gone uh, than before I got here. And so that inspires me and pushes me to wake up every day, to work hard every day, to give everything 100%, and to be able to leave the next generation better off than what it was like for me when I was here. Love that. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it does not have to be formal education. It can be education that comes from a lot of different channels and spaces, but it's the foundation of wealth building. There's no doubt about it. 
And so whether that's YouTube for some or picking up books for others or going to formal educational program or alternative educational program for some, it may be college and business school advanced degrees for others. Regardless of what that looks like, I just think this idea that I want to learn and evolve as much as possible, it's the key and the foundation to folks being able to be financially prosperous and independent. There's so many ways to be educated. And I think when you say education, people usually think, like you said, traditional education. But I mean, I think I've learned more on YouTube and reading books and stuff like that. Like I did an operation on my motorcycle. <laughs> with YouTube. We got to go in there and it's do some amazing. stuff. It's so, amazing. And what's like, so amazing to me, brother, is that so many people don't understand that you and I grew up where there was no internet. Mm -mm. Our parents had to invest $10,000 in encyclopedia books, and we had to have the energy to go open those books and to go look into these things. And those books were updated once every two years or so, mm -hmm. right? At that. The idea that we have information and knowledge at our fingertips. I know that a lot of younger listeners probably hear this all the time, from like their parents or the other generation. But for someone that is driven and that is passionate to have knowledge and education at your fingertips where you can repair a bicycle by watching a YouTube video, or you can learn how to trade stocks and trade options from YouTube, that's life-changing. It has been life-changing for a lot of people. And so the fact that it's at our fingertips and it's so easy for us, and I don't want to get on a soapbox, but we're so distracted and so we still don't do it. I think we as a human race, it's pretty mind-blowing to me. But yes, education is everywhere around us if we just take the time to tap into it. If you could offer a piece of advice for our listeners, our pieces, what would that advice be? My number one piece of advice for folks is to learn to fail and grow from it. I think that that has to be something that's learned because it's very contrary to what we learn and pick up in formal school and to a great degree, even in life, that as much as you can, you have to protect yourself from failing. And there's a certain connotation associated with failure. But I'm doing pretty well for myself. And the folks that I talk to that are financially independent and prosperous, what we talk about the most is the ways in which we failed and how we learned from it. And what we ask one another the most is, how did you go about this? And what lessons did you learn? as a result of failing. And it's very, very clear to me that it's not encouraged enough and it's not talked about enough. It's almost like an intentional secret that's kept. And so I would like to strongly encourage your listeners and supporters to learn to fail and grow from it. And I think that means reading books. I think that means supporting and encouraging your kids to try new things and it'll be okay if they don't get it perfectly out the gate, but to keep going at it and to keep encouraging them and inspiring them. And that when you develop this tolerance that you can try new and innovative things and fail, but you can evolve and grow from it. Once you have that discipline baked in, the sky is the limit. 
the sky is truly the limit and it will stay with you for the rest of your life. Love it. Love it, Mitch. Wanted to thank you for coming on to the show and definitely have to get people that want to get more of Mitch Brooks. They want to hear what you're working on, hear what you are doing over at High Street Equity Partners. What social medias are you active on and where can the listeners find you? Yes. On Instagram and Twitter, it's at Mitch Brooks. And on LinkedIn, you can search for Mitch Brooks, Washington, D.C., and it should come up. And I look forward to connecting with anyone that would like to connect with me. Some of my friends and business partners think that I'm crazy, but my meeting calendar is a public thing. And so anyone from anywhere can schedule time on my calendar and 20-minute time blocks and happy to talk to folks and connect to folks. So we'll look forward to it. Mitch, can't thank you enough. Thank you for your time, your energy, your effort, and the work that you're doing to close the equity gap. I think it's a lot of work and sometimes it can be overwhelming, I know. So I want to tell you, thank you for that. Keep up the good work, keep the grind, fight the good fight. And like I said, we appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you all for the invite. God bless to you and your fam and your business. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Blessings to you and yours. And as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time.